Can we just give Jesus some praise for the work that he's done this week? Just thank you, God. Thank you for your goodness, Lord. Thank you for your goodness. I love what Pastor Jeff says of just getting in the, just get in the flow of the wind. So much of following the Lord is just making ourselves available to whatever he's wanting to do. And we just give him praise today for that. And uh, if this is your first Sunday here at Union Chapel or you're here for just because your kid came to serve, we're so honored to have you with us today. We're so thankful that you would trust us with your kids for the week and so thankful for all the ways that everyone has sacrificed. And I, you know, we'll say it over and over again. Thank you. But I want us to make sure we remember that we are so excited of just being able to get in the flow with what the Spirit is doing. And so... Um, Man, just so grateful to the Lord. So we're going to continue this, the, the story today. Uh, we've been working through the Old Testament, and uh, we're going to be looking at Ezra and Nehemiah today, and uh, just going to just unpack some things with there. And so I'm going to pray again. I want to just give God thanks again, and then we'll jump right into the text today, and then we're going to celebrate some baptisms. 30 baptisms today. Can we get, yeah. Oh, thank you, Jesus. Absolutely. All right, let's pray. Father, we love you. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for your goodness, Lord. We thank you for the, all the ways that you work this week. And again, Lord, we just say, God, we want to position our lives before the King of kings and the Lord of lords. We want to position ourselves before you, Holy Spirit, to uh, just be used with you, used by you, however you would choose. And so we just give ourselves to you again today. And as we open the word, we just pray that you'd speak clearly to us, Father. We love you. It's your name. Amen. Amen, amen. All right. So we're going to rip through this super quick because we're going to get to baptism. So a little background. We're looking at Ezra and Nehemiah today. Ezra and Nehemiah were originally written as one story. And then as the Bible developed, it was split into two books. And so as we're thinking about Ezra and Nehemiah, it's all of this understanding of the fulfillment of the prophecies uh, that Jeremiah gave and Ezekiel gave that the exiles of the Israelite exiles that are in Babylon will return to Jerusalem and reestablish God's temple, will reestablish God's community, will reestablish Jerusalem as the centerpiece of God's people. So the, all of this, this story through Ezra and Nehemiah is all about these fulfilled prophecies of taking the people of Israel out of exile again, back into Jerusalem, back as a people, back as Yahweh being established as the God of their people, and them living their lives out. And so today we're going to look really quickly at three of these main characters, Zerubbabel, Ezra and Nehemiah, all of which have, have these structural things about how they think that, that the renewal of the people's hearts is going to be, how it's going to take place, that these things would be mechanisms for the renewal of, these, of the Israelites' heart. Because again, they've been in, in exile and they're coming back and they want to be established as God's people fully. And so uh, first up, we're going to look at Zerubbabel. And he really thought that the people would be transformed if he reestablished the temple. If he could just reestablish the temple, if he could reestablish the place where they could worship, that that's what would transform the people's hearts. And so um, the a word of the Lord actually came to the king, Cyrus, at the time. This is Ezra chapter 1. And so Ezra gets this word from the Lord to let the Israelites go back to their God. Ezra chapter 1, verse number 5, it says this. Then the, heads of the, then the family heads of Ju Judea and Benjamin... And the priests and the Levites, everyone whose hearts God had moved, prepared to go and build the house of the Lord in Jerusalem. All of their neighbors assisted them with the articles of silver and gold and goods and livestock and with 
valuable gifts in addition to their free will offerings. Moreover, King Cyrus brought out of the articles belonging to the temple of the Lord, which Nebuchadnezzar had carried away from Jerusalem and had placed them in the temple of his God. So God speaks to King Cyrus to release them, to let the, the Israelites go back. And not only that, he gives them resource so that they can actually rebuild the temple of God. And so there's favor in that, that God puts on this foreign leader to release them, gives them goods, gives them services, and also gives them what they need to actually practice their belief. Because Nebuchadnezzar had ransacked Jerusalem, had burned it, taken all these things and taken them out to Babylon. And, and Cyrus gives all of those things back, and the Israelites go back uh, to there. So Zerubbabel took about 50,000 Israelites back to Jerusalem and begins to rebuild the temple. And so again... Zerubbabel thinks if we can just get the temple right, if we can just get this, it'll reestablish the people. They'll start following God. Everything will be good. The problem is, is it didn't work. So although they reestablished these things, although that they had, had rebuilt the temple, it was a great step, but just that step alone did not transform the hearts of the people. And so about, about 60 years later, Ezra comes on the scene. And Ezra's in Babylon, and he, he's heard that the temple's been rebuilt. He's, he's heard that the, the, the Jews are, again, worshiping in Jerusalem, which he would have known. Ezra was a priest. He was a teacher of the law. He knew the prophecies. He knew what had been taught. He knew that this was a fulfillment of Jeremiah 25 and Ezekiel 37, that they would return back to Jerusalem and worship. And so Ezra's all fired up because he's like, hey, this is really great. I want to go back. I want to go back and worship in the temple because, again, he knew the law. He knew the Torah. And so Ezra gets all excited to go back uh, to, to leave, and he goes to the king. The king shows him favor again, shows the Israelites favor. So you got to remember this has been 50, 60 years of their temple worship and them living in Jerusalem and them reestablishing the city. And, and, and Ezra goes to the king and asks for blessing. And this is what it says in Ezra chapter 7. It says verse number 18 in Ezra chapter 7. You and your fellow Israelites may then do whatever seems best with the rest of the silver and gold in accordance with the will of your God. Deliver to the God of Jerusalem all the articles entrusted to you for worship in the temple of your God and everything else needed for the temple of your God that you are responsible to supply. You may provide from the royal treasury. So not only does Ezra get to go back, he's all excited he's going to get to teach the Torah and, and do it in the temple and all this stuff is great. Again, they find favor with this foreign leader that he says, hey, I'm going to make sure that you have everything that you need. Take all, the, all, take all the bulls and calves, all the stuff that you would need for sacrifices. Take all the elements that you would need. Hey, apparently there were still some things that maybe they had found. You know, when you clean your closet and then you find some stuff at the back of the closet after you've cleaned the closet out 12 times. And you go, oh, that's still in the back of the closet. And they found it. Apparently they found some articles of the, the temple that had been hiding somewhere out in, the, in Babylon. So he gives them everything that's left for the temple to get fully, um, fully up and running and all these things. And so Ezra goes back, and he's all excited. He's like, I'm going back to my people. I'm going to go to the temple. I'm going to teach the Torah in the temple. We're going to see what God's doing, da 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 And Ezra shows up in Israel and loses his mind because of the disobedience that he sees in the people. So he, he's planning that as he comes back, he's like, you know what? They've been worshiping in the temple for 60 years. They're their people now. They've not been in exile. I'm sure they're following Yahweh to the, to the letter of the law. I'm sure that they're following the Torah to the letter of the law. And he shows up, and they're not. They're not. 
They're abusing the temple. They're intermarrying with the Canaanites, which God had told them repeatedly not to do in Deuteronomy and other places. He said, don't do that because he's like, I want, I want Israel to be a remnant of my, own, of my own people. So don't intermarry and those types of things. And so he shows up and, and they're not being obedient to God. Does this sound familiar to the story of, of the Israelites at all, right? Like God's faithful, they're faithful for a while, and they fall off. God's faithful, they're faithful for a while, and God's fall off. And so although they had the temple and could worship in the temple, it didn't work. Ezra shows up, and uh, he's, a, he's a little angry. This is Ezra chapter 9, verse number 3. When I heard this, this is, this is Ezra talking, I tore my tunic and cloak, so he ripped his clothes up. Pulled hair from my head and in, in my beard and sat down appalled. Now, it would take me somewhere between 90 to f- days to forever for me to grow a beard. Um, so I'm, I, don't, I don't understand the whole, like, rip the hair out of the beard thing. I've heard from friends that that's miserable. I've heard that that'd be painful. So I think Ezra's response here... They, they, they would have, rec- him tearing the, the cloak and things like that, that would have been re- reminiscent of mourning, a mourning process. Like that would have been consistent culturally of like of people mourning and angry of like him ripping his cloak. That was pretty symbolic. You can see that all throughout the Old Testament of the mourning. But the whole ripping your own hair out and ripping your beard, you're not in a good place. You're not, you're not, you're not in a good place. But that's how, that's how frustrated and appalled that, that although they've been able to worship in the temple, although they've been able to be their own people, they're still being disobedient to what God had commanded. This is verse number four. Then everyone who trembled at the words of God of Israel gathered around me because of the unfaithfulness of the exiles. And I sat there appalled until the evening sacrifice. Then at the evening sacrifice, I rove, rose up from my self-abasement and, and with my tunic and my cloak had torn and fell on my knees with my hands spread out to the Lord my God and prayed. Ezra calls the people back to God and begins to teach them, saying, this is what the Torah demands us to live. This is the way of God. This is what God says to do. And he calls people to repentance, and they actually repent. They listen to Ezra, despite their disobedience, despite the hard things, despite them choosing all these other times. They listen to Ezra, and they repent. And it actually marks this incredible time of renewal in Israel, where the teaching of the law is going out. Temple worship is done rightly. People are, are following God's commands the way that they should. And, I mean, they, they begin having these festivals even to celebrate the Torah. Like, there's stuff where Ezra, they built this platform for Ezra, to, for him to teach. And he's just teaching the people. And they're going, oh, this is what it means to follow God. This is what it means to follow God. And so there's this part of, there's this beautiful renewal that happens as, uh, as Ezra's there. And so during the midst of this re- renewal, God begins to speak to, to Nehemiah. Because as 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 the people do, although there was a season where they had followed God and followed his law, as the parties faded, as the excitement faded, and they kind of went back to the way that things were, they began to fade away again. And they again begin to intermarry and all these things that God had told them not to do. And so God speaks to Nehemiah. 
And Nehemiah gets this idea that he should rebuild the city walls. Because if we really are going to be a city, we not only need a temple for us to worship. We not only need the Torah for us to to know how to live. We need a city for which we can have a society and a community in our city. Because Nebuchadnezzar was burnt down and left in shambles. And if we're going to get attacked, you know, they're going to just walk through these giant holes in our walls. So let's begin to rebuild the walls. And so Nehemiah gets this vision to rebuild uh, Jerusalem. And this is what Nehemiah says. I'm just going to read it to you. It's not going to be on your screen. I just want to read this to you. It says, Nehemiah chapter 1, starting at verse number 3. They said to me, those who survive exile are back in the providence, but it's in great trouble and disgrace. The wall, Nehemiah, has been broken down and its gates have burned. When I heard this, these things, I sat down and wept. Nehemiah wept over the city. For some days I even mourned and fasted and I began to pray to the God of heaven. And this is what I prayed to God. I said, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with, who's, with those whom he loved. God, keep and when we keep his commands. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes open to hear my prayers that your servant is praying from day and night for the people of Israel. Lord, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my ancestors, have committed against you. We've acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, the decrees you have given your servant Moses. Remember the instructions you gave your servant Moses, O God. If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and and obey my commands, then... If your exiled people are at the furthest most horizons, I will gather you back up and bring you to a place that I've chosen for my name to dwell. They are your servants and your people, O God, whom you've redeemed by your strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayers of your servant and to the prayer of your servant who delights in revering your name. Listen, give your servant success today. By granting him favor in the presence of this man, in the presence of the king. You see, Nehemiah was the cupbearer before the king. And it's interesting to me that before Nehemiah even had a plan, before Nehemiah had any resource, he, he reminded God of his covenant. He repented for all the sins that he had observed. And he just begs God for favor. He begs God to have his hand on him and on his leadership. Because he knew that for the the vision that he had been given by God, for that to happen, he was going to need the anointing of God to walk into that. Especially if he was going to go before the king and ask the king for resource. Because you don't talk to the king unless the king talks to you. You don't ask the king for things. The king tells you what to do. So Nehemiah, the cupbearer, he goes in to, the, to meet with the king. And the king looks at him and says, Nehemiah, why are you so sad? What's wrong? What's going on? Because, I mean, again, Nehemiah being the cupbearer, they would have they known each other. They would have been familiar with each other. Nehemiah was the one that was protecting the king. So the king would have had, uh, uh, if he was a decent king, he would at least had some... Uh, uh, he would at least been attentive to Nehemiah. And clearly, they had a pretty good relationship because the king points out and says, Nehemiah, why is your face so sad? So the relationship was that of much that the king recognized that Nehemiah was sad. And Nehemiah basically says to him, and says, King, the God, the, my, my God, my people, their, their city's a mess. We need to rebuild the city. And king, I'm, I'm a little bit afraid. This is what it says in Nehemiah chapter 2. It says, I was afraid, but I asked the king. Nehemiah is acknowledging that he was afraid. He says, I I was afraid, but I asked the king, may the king live forever. 
Why should my face look so sad when the city of my ancestors are buried in, in ruins and the gates have been destroyed by fire? And the king said to me, what is it that you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king. It's a good leadership lesson for us. Before Nehemiah did anything, he, he repented to God. He made sure his heart was right with God. He asked for the anointing of God. He gets his moment of favor before the king. And before he brings out his list of what he needs, he pauses and asks God, the God of heaven, and prays to him. I wonder how our lives would change just a little bit if we would slow down our pace just a hair. Just to be sensitive and be easily interrupted. To just say a quick prayer and ask God for his favor and blessing and what he's desiring. Not just our list of things that we need done. But, what, but, but pausing long enough to say, God, whatever you have, that's what I want. It says, if it pleases the king and found favor in your sight, let me... Uh, be sent to the city of my ancestors and rebuild the city. So the king gives him favor. He gives him all the resources. Nehemiah's got provision for the vision that he's been given. And he goes to the city and he begins to rebuild the walls. And as soon as Nehemiah gets there, you would think the people would be excited. You'd think they'd be like, yay, Nehemiah's here, we're rebuilding the walls. He immediately faces opposition. There's so much opposition that they have to take half the people who are supposed to build the wall and put them on guard to protect the people who are actually working on the wall. People scheme so much that they're like, hey, like, Nehemiah, come hang out with us. Like, these are other, these are other surrounding communities. Hey, would you meet with us, Nehemiah? We want to meet with you. We want to meet with you. Nehemiah understands that they're trying to kill him, so Nehemiah refuses to meet with him. He's like, mm, hard pass. They are like, hey, well, let's meet, let's meet at the temple of your God. Like, we'll even meet you there. Let's go into the temple. Let's go into the temple and we can meet there. And Nehemiah's like, mm, hard pass again. I'm not going to defile myself because he knew that he wasn't allowed to go into the temple. But yet the people were like, oh, let's meet. Let's hang out, Nehemiah. It's all good. Let's talk about your God. Let's talk about your beliefs. And Nehemiah's like, no, no, we got work to do. And 52 years later, or 52 years later, how about days? Let's go with days. 52 days later, 52 days later, Nehemiah rebuilds the city despite the opposition, despite the challenges, despite all those things. He's got his heart so bent towards the Lord. And here's the thing. You would think that the way the story would go is, yay, the temple's back, everything's great. Yay, the Torah's back, everything's great. Yay, the city's back, everything's great. But per usual, you see this up and down cycle of the hearts of Israel. And although they've got the temple, and although they've got the Torah, and although they've got their city back, as time goes on, their hearts grow cold, and they don't follow God's commands. And they, and they, and they drift. And this is how I say it in my notes. Because I think this is a great lesson for us. It's like, what is it that actually is going to sustain us? Because the Israelites had it all. They had the temple. They had the Torah. They had, they, they had their city back. They had all the structural things that, would, that you would think would transform their lives. They had all the things that you would think would transform their lives. Here's how I say it in the notes. Systems and structures will, will consistently fall short, but hard, hearts bent towards God will always lead to transformed life. If you want a transformed life, if you want a life 
that, that's in proper relationship with God, if you want a life that's bent towards heaven, you have to put yourself in position where your heart isn't leaning towards structures and systems and all these things where we think salvation is going to come from. The only place that salvation comes from is through a right relationship with Jesus Christ and our lives lived out in surrender to him. Despite them having the Torah, despite them having the temple, despite them having their city, life was good for them. They were out of exile. They were finally a people, and yet they still drifted. As funky as a story as this is, this gives me such hope with my relationship with the Lord. Why? Because I want to live my life bent towards God. I want to live my life submitted towards God because then my relationship with him is not determined by the circumstances around me, but the trust that I put in him. Remember what Nehemiah reminds God of. Nehemiah reminds God of the covenant that God had kept with his people. So don't be swayed by the systems and structures. Don't be swayed by the brokenness you see around you. Keep your heart bent towards God and watch the transformation that he brings in your life. This is what it says in Ezekiel chapter 36. This was one of the prophecies that was fulfilled for Israel. And this is where we're going to land it today. Ezekiel says, the, prophecy, the prophet Ezekiel says this. For I will take out of the nations, I will gather you from the countries. I will sprinkle clean water on you and, I will, and, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from any, from any of your impurities and from your idols. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I will renew you from your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put a new spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. That's not just a prophetic word for the nation of Israel. That's a prophetic word for the people of God. That as we bend our hearts towards God, he will bend us towards him. That as we say yes to him over and over again, he begins to bend and shape and mold us more like him. Why does serve make such a big deal? Because it's a way for us to bend our hearts and our lives towards God. It's a way for us to be intentionally interrupted in our systems, in our structures, in our schedules, and say, God, for this week, we're laying it all down. We're gonna take vacation. We're gonna get off work. We're gonna do whatever we can to align our lives to what you're wanting to do. That's not just a posture for serve. That's the call of the kingdom of God, that every aspect of our life is bent towards heaven. And as we bend towards heaven, God, God is gracious and kind to meet us where we're at and bring love and redemption and grace and peace and show us the way to live. That's the gospel, my friends. Would you stand with me? Um, There are people who are getting baptized at the 10 o'clock. If you're on schedule, I have to be really clear here. If you're on the schedule for 1130, hold up. This isn't for you. You can wait an hour. Okay. Friends, over these next two weeks, um, I'm going to be leading us through a series called Abide. Because this idea of bending our hearts towards God, it preaches really well and it's something we can get really excited about. But I want to take the next two weeks and we're going to look at the greatest teaching by the greatest teacher. We're going to look at John chapters 13 through 17. It's, it's, I think it's great, Jesus' greatest teaching. And he unpacks for us what it looks like to abide in him and what it looks like for us to really lean our lives into him. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to look at this idea of what it looks like to be bent towards God. 
and to live our lives in submission to him by looking at the greatest teaching by the greatest teacher. So I want to invite you back these next two weeks. I want to invite you back to, to join us in this study. And friends, we're going to celebrate some lives this morning that have chosen to, to be bent towards God. What a privilege we have to see the hand of God move and to see him do that. So I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to go into a time of worship. And let's just again just thank King Jesus for his goodness. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We bless you. We give you praise. We give you glory, Lord. God, I thank you for your goodness. I thank you, God, for calling us. I thank you for making a way to say yes to you. God, I thank you for the work that we've done this week at Serve. I thank you that we, we, I thank you for the opportunity. God, we thank you for not leaving us out in your kingdom work. Thank you for letting us have a small part in that. And God, I just pray, even now, God, just a sweet blessing over these folks who are getting baptized. That Holy Spirit, you would fill them from the top of their head to the bottom of their feet freshly each day. That you would give them fresh dreams and fresh visions, fresh kingdom calling, fresh giftings, God. That this day would would mark such a sweet beginning of a new journey with you, God. That you would call them to deeper relationship with you, God. And that most importantly, God, you would call them on kingdom mission. Show them the way that you'd ask them to go, Father. Show them the way that you're asking them to step and lead this out day to day. And God, may we as a body love and support them fully. We love you, King Jesus. And everybody said, amen. Amen.